and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way. First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch. You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow. I like the laptop bags myself. Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime, or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Julio runs our official Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me at Contrarian Alex. That's it. That's our intro. Now, time for the show. This is And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for Invasion USA. Hello and welcome to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always on this quest of the contrary by my friend and co-host Julio Oliveira. I guess in today's case, a domestic battle we're waging. I'm glad you're alongside with me here because I, I would not do well in any sort of combat. You don't work alone. No, no thank God. Julio, Chuck Norris enters Contrarian's canon. What is your familiarity with Carlos Ray Norris? <laughs> CR Norris. Did he have the... Well, he's... I mean, starting this off with a bang here, I've always kind of viewed him as a B-list actor. Uh, you know... <laughs> Already pissing off everybody that loved Chuck Norris and tuned in. They're like, they said they were going to say nice things about it. Well, I'm just talking about in general. Chuck Norris is uh, a star of action movies. I'm, I'm, what I'm getting at here is, uh, you know, I've never looked at him at the same level as like a Tom Cruise or even for his genre, like an Arnold Schwarzenegger or something. So my question to you is, you know, he obviously had uh, a good amount of success here in the States. And I remember him being a figure of my childhood in action movies and uh, sidekicks, as I've talked about before, was a big one for me. Were you familiar with Chuck Norris as a, a young man in Peru? Did did he have any sort of star power there? When, when do you remember first seeing anything with him? Uh, when I was a child. <laughs> Chuck Norris's star power traveled across continents, across oceans. Yeah, he was he was kind of like a staple of uh, late night TV. I guess that makes it sound like he's a he was hosting a talk show or something. No, like you know movies that they play at nine ten p.m. Eighties generic eighties action movies were just manly men kill people and you know won in the end and uh, that that kind of stuff. I mean that played big in Peru when I was growing up and I just remember being aware of him, kind of getting him mixed up with Charles Bronson a lot because uh, I never Oy. really <laughs> watched. Uh, their movies. I wasn't following their careers, but I remember him fighting uh, uh, Bruce Lee. I remember that was a thing. Like I never watched the movie, but I remember that was something that that was part of the the mythology. And uh, I guess at the time, I, I thought that he was a badass. You know, he looked like a dude that that took care of business, as did Charles Bronson. Was that the Way of the Dragon? I don't know, but he isn't he like the first American that fought Bruce Lee? Is that the thing? Way of the Dragon, yeah. Okay. 
but he doesn't win, right? It's a tie. They both like punch at the same time and there's an explosion and they're blown backwards. Well, Julio, that's a good segue because I'm sure you've seen the way Bruce Lee is portrayed in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And you know how you talk. Yeah, I cannot be seen as weak on camera. Um, And you also remember that Margaret Roby, who's about to make bank, (laughs) plays Sharon Tate in that movie. Yes. And do you remember the scene where she goes to the movie theater to see the Wrecking Crew? She goes to see her own movie. Uh Uh-huh. Well, the Wrecking Crew is the first movie that Chuck Norris was in. He has a role as an uncredited extra because the that movie, due to like the choreography and fight scenes and shit. uh, For those who don't know, the Wrecking Crew was a movie in an installment of Matt Helm films where Dean Martin played Matt Helm, which was like. Yeah, you know, your dollar store James Bond. <laughs> and Sharon Tate was in this as like the Bond girl. And sadly, this was her last movie. But uh, as portrayed in the movie, Bruce Lee did some of the choreography, uh, trained her for some of it. You can find like real pictures of Bruce Lee and Sharon Tate training for it. Uh, he receives a production credit as karate advisor and action choreographer. But Chuck Norris is a background character in this. And I own this movie, so I'm going to have to go back and rewatch it. Uh, also, one of the people who's an extra in this... Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger? <laughs> Wilhelm von Homburg, who played Vigo in <laughs> Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> Everything is connected. So, Chuck Norris from The Wrecking Crew in 1968 comes all the way to 1985, and at this point has become the face of the genre and by that i mean you know b-level action movies he's the guy he definitely is because he was a legitimate he was a shoot fighter for sure he had like some (laughs) legitimate credentials and and where does it say here competitive fighting career norris began to evolve the style and make it more effective and well-rounded by studying other systems uh shotaka uh, american kempo Kyushin, Judo, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Ernest Taekwondo, Tang Soo Do, and was the founder of two major martial arts systems, the American Tang Soo Do and the Chuck Norris system, known as Chun Kuk Do. Uh, he has a 10th degree black belt in American Tang Soo Do, 8th degree black belt in Taekwondo, 8th degree black belt in Kyushin, Kyushin. Fifth degree black belt in karate, third degree black belt in Brazilian jiu jitsu, and a black belt in judo. Some pretty legit shit. More uh, importantly, so, he's also developed his own brand of home gym, right? Does he still do that? Because those infomercials oh, were man. huge for a while. I, for, I forgot about that. Is it the total gym? Is that his? Yeah, like the he was wearing like the cut off sleeves and like shadow boxing and really sweaty. Well, it's him and his wife just hawking those things. Late night TV, once again. (laughs) Hi, I'm Chuck Norris. The folks at Total Gym have asked me to take 60 seconds to tell you why I use the Total Gym. Well, I use it because it works. And Chuck Norris has become, obviously, the meme machine. Was he like one of the original memes? Chuck Norris could do this. Chuck Norris could do that. How did that even start? Trying to remember the old uh, e bombs and shit like that. The the web pages at break dot com. The you know the the Virgin Islands were no longer were just called the islands after Chuck Norris visited. <laughs> he 
it, 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 the whole idea is, you know, Chuck Norris did these superhuman. If you have no idea what we're talking about, you're probably better off. I just remember in high school hearing those all the time. And he has like a legend of being he's just Chuck Norris because he is interesting because he's not Tom Cruise and he's not Arnold. He hasn't done all this crazy shit. He's like this legit guy. Who, he's a very legit combat athlete and mixed in with that just did some absurd action films. Sadly, he's, you know, massive right wing, uh, outspoken. And so that's, uh, you know, second amendment until I die, brother, that kind of guy. (laughs) And so I think a lot of that internet notoriety or fun has kind of dissipated over the past few years, but wanted to start with Chuck just to establish who we're who we're talking about here today because he is he's an interesting cat in the world of acting um and this is the first time we're covering any of his movies and the movie of today is invasion usa i did not mean for that to rhyme but it worked out all right um a poster that you've seen even if you haven't seen it you've seen it he's wearing all denim he's got two machine guns the fucking capitals in the background invasion usa in big block letters and leading into this, what had he had done already? I know he had done a few things as far as... Had he fought Bruce Lee by now? Uh, yes. The Way of the Dragon came out in 1972. It was his second acting credit. So Eye for an Eye, Silent Rage. He's wearing a cowboy hat in that one. What else? I mean, Missing in Action, Missing in Action 2, and Code of Silence came before this, and they continued on. But this one's remembered fondly by some. Not contemporary critics as we'll discuss in the second half of this it's also noteworthy in the sense that chuck norris was a writer on it so we get a bit of an insight into what he thinks movies should be (laughs) this is his no holds barred is that what you're saying well i'm sorry but this doesn't have a title track that goes (laughs) life gets hard (laughs) it's no holds barred no, it's bad. Miss so, opportunity because Invasion USA, the, the title just says it all. It literally is like the Team America. I could hear that song. <laughs> Invasion USA. All right. That's our opening salvo uh, and our introductory paragraph to our star of today. Uh, before we get to the reason we're discussing Invasion USA, again, I'm Alex. That's Julio. We are the Contrarians. Here on the Contrarians, we like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. That is our battle cry. Find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated, oftentimes accompanied with that beautiful IP, that logo that lets you know that it's certified fresh. And what we'll do with those movies is bring them down to size be it poor acting, uh, questionable direction, lazy storytelling, uh, you know, a, a screenplay that's riddled with more holes than Swiss cheese, bad score, whatever it takes to just let you know that, hey, this movie may not be all that you know the critics are telling you it is. Maybe that score isn't exactly warranted. Conversely, we'll find movies that are lowly rated, typically about 30% and below, those nasty green splotches known as rotten, and as you could guess, We're going to build those babies up, talk about some of the positive merit, uh, be it the filmmaking, the effects, the score, the soundtrack, uh, maybe some underrated acting or under, you know, bold storytelling choices. The bazookas. Um, The bazookas being that Invasion USA is 19% on Rotten Tomatoes with a 51% audience score. So it has (laughs) a sad green tipped over popcorn bucket. (laughs) Snobs. We will be talking about this movie as though... It were the American dream as though it were, you know, apple pie come to life. As if it was the 80s. 
as if it were the in the 80s. We do this in an attempt to, one, highlight that this shit is subjective. You can be as over the moon about something as you want to be, or if you truly set your mind to it, you can just be as cynical about something as you want to be. And two, that Rotten Tomato system, come on, y'all. That, that doesn't tell the whole story for the movies that are rated on there. You can't, on a scale of 1 to 100, properly convey the pluses and minuses of a movie. So we're here to do that for you. We're here to help out in that regard. But what I just described, that comprises the first half of our podcast, part one, which we call Contrarian's Corner. Julio, if the listeners want to know how we really feel about the movie du jour, in this case, Invasion USA, they just need to stick around for the second half, part two. That is correct. The second part of every episode, the aptly titled Real Talk, is where we tell you how we really feel. Uh, we just forget about the gimmick. We don't worry about the Rotten Tomatoes score anymore. And we just tell you how we experienced this movie. Uh, many times for the very first time. I know it was my first time watching Invasion USA, even though it's not my first Chuck Norris movie. Uh, how about you, Alex? Yeah, it was my first time seeing this. I know some that swear by this movie and really enjoy it. So I was pretty curious going in. Now, did we did we like it about as much as we're going to pretend we did? here on uh, Contreras Corner, well, you'll find out once we get to Real Talk. And you will also find out how the patron that demanded this movie uh, feels. We're going to hear from patron John Amenta, who uh, said, Invasion USA, guys, do it. There's a distinct lack of Chuck Norris on your podcast feed. And uh, he also sent uh, he sent something for us to read during Real Talk. So uh, we'll find out about John's feelings on that part of the show. That's right. Our patron takeover continues, and John bringing the heat with Invasion USA here. Plenty of gunfire, squibs, and practical effects, which we, or at least I, greatly appreciate. So, John looking out for me in that regard. <laughs> for you, yeah. Not so much for me. I, I think I mentioned this uh, in the previous episode, where we're basically previewing what was happening, what was to come. I was on John's podcast, The Pint, uh, a while ago, and we did a Chuck Norris movie, The Octagon, and mm. I had a miserable time with that movie. I had a great time talking about it with John and Lloyd uh, on, on their show, but I don't know if this is John's attempt to redeem Chuck Norris in my eyes, and he's like, here's a good one, or if he's just fucking with me, and he's like, oh, you thought The Octagon was bad? Well, here's Invasion USA. So... I guess we'll find out what his design was once we get to real talk. Well, with the consensus being 19%, I just assumed people weren't too kind to this. So, Julio, which uh, critical quotes did you pull? Well, we're going to start with Dustin Putman from thebluefile.com, who says, 1980s B-movie studio Canon Films plus gun-toting gator wrestling man's man Chuck Norris equal a recipe for unapologetic action movie cheese. Why is this rotten? That sounds like a, like the description of a movie that it's a lot of fun. That's like a movie today that would you know take the world by storm and everyone would tell you you need to see it. Yeah. Just replace Chuck Norris with, uh, I don't know, Chris Pratt. You'd be like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. You think Chris Pratt has ever wrestled an alligator? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Definitively not. <laughs> All right. Next, Variety Staff from Variety. A brainless plot would be almost forgivable were it not for the perverse depiction of innocence butchered in Invasion USA. You gotta, what's that saying? Make an omelet, you gotta break some eggs. You gotta make yeah. a believable movie about a Russian invasion into our, our country. Well, 
obviously innocents are gonna pay the price. Can't just have bad people die. There's no realistic. <laughs> yeah, any sort of military invading a country is usually gonna result in innocent people dying. So I'm not quite sure what they were expecting. This guy probably hated Saving Pride Ryan. Fucking totally unrealistic. <laughs> yeah. Why? Why must so many people die? Why did people have to die? All right, we're gonna close with Frank O'Chiang from Movie Eye, who says a clumsy, generic, and kinetic actioner with Norris aimlessly kicking his way through this loud exercise. I don't think he's seen the movie, Alex, because Chuck Norris is mostly shooting people in this one, and he's very quiet. He even whispers the last line of the movie. <laughs> yes, he says, "Welcome to Invasion USA." <laughs> It's time. <laughs> uh, yeah, Frank, I think maybe you watch a different Chuck Norris movie. But those are the quotes. Alex, take us into Contrarian's Corner. Their target, America. Their objective, control. 18 hours from now, America will be a different place. There's a studio signature for MGM in this that I don't remember ever seeing before that starts on the eye of the lion and zooms out. I don't remember having ever seen that before. That's kind of what I was paying attention to. I was like, what the hell? (laughs) Did you think it was uh, Chuck Norris's eye at first before they zoom back? I know, man. You never know. (laughs) Yeah, after seeing the Canon studio signature, which typically guarantees a good time, I saw Chuck Norris in all caps. It's... uh, (laughs) He gets billing over the movie. It wasn't even like Chuck Norris in. It was just, boom, Chuck Norris. So the movie opens with a boat of Cuban refugees attempting to reach the United States. I believe they're heading towards Miami because that's where the majority of the movie happens. And the main, like the leader of the refugees is Ruben Rabasa, who I think you should leave fans will know quite well as the guy from the focus group at the car dealership. Oh, my God, he admitted. And (laughs) apparently, because of that, I found out he's in one of the recent Ant-Man movies or something. Because Paul Rudd was talking about, after seeing him on I Think You Should Leave, like how much he geeked out seeing him on the set. I found this interview with him about it. Uh, He's literally in the movie for the opening scene. He gets shot in the head immediately. (laughs) Um, He's not the only one. No, there's a lot of shooting in the head. So let's just consult our friends at Wikipedia for this, and I'll be doing this for some of the plot summation because this movie's um, complex. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> a group of Cuban refugees are on a boat sailing through the United States and are met by what appears to be the U.S. Coast Guard, both with armed personnel. The captain of the vessel declares that the refugees are welcome to the United States, but the guardsmen open fire on them and take several bags of cocaine hidden in the boat. It is revealed that the armed personnel here were Latin American guerrillas disguised as guardsmen on board a hijacked Coast Guard vessel. Eventually, the real Coast Guard finds the boat with the murdered American Coast Guardsmen off the coast of Florida. The FBI and the Miami Police Department arrive at the docks to investigate the murders. The guerrillas land in Florida and exchange the drugs for weaponry from a drug dealer. They are led by the Soviet operative Mikhail Rostov, who's played by Richard Lynch, the fake Coast Guard captain who opened fire on the Cuban refugees at the beginning of the movie. Former CIA agent Matt Hunter... Chuck Norris is asked to come out of retirement, but he declines when Rostov and a team of guerrillas destroy Hunter's residence in the Everglades and kill his friend John Eagle, played by Del Berti. In a failed assassination attempt, Hunter is convinced to reconsider. So, drugs, the FBI, guns, 
terrorists. Chuck Norris. It's all here, man. And a woman reporter? That's my note here. Because I guess the closest thing to a, um, a side character or, I don't know, she's certainly not a love interest. No, they have maybe five seconds of flirtation. Melissa Melissa Prophet plays Dahlia McGuire. And she's, they don't ever say really who she's for. She says, I work for myself. But she has a camera a <laughs> she's lot. She's like, Chuck. And take She's taking pictures, and but they see her, and they're just like, a woman reporter to the Simpsons. Let me get this straight. You're a girl. Yes. I just don't understand. <laughs> but these were, this was the golden era of action movies, Alex, where men were badasses and women were plucky reporters. That's... We've we've missed that window now. Now it's just everything interchangeable. But there was a there was a time and a place where the formula worked, right? So that I I guess I completely missed the fact that this was a Latin American guerrilla led by. I, I thought they were all Russians. I guess yeah. I, I couldn't figure out because they're speaking German. Some of them speak German at some point. So I just I really couldn't get my finger on what the resistance is construed of here multicultural terrorists they were very there you go very open-minded about who they enlisted a rainbow coalition of terrorists <laughs> uh, you knew you knew that there was no way that they were the real coast guard because never in a gazillion years not in the <laughs> 80s they say like welcome to the america <laughs> exactly uh, estados unidos yeah <laughs> not in the 80s not today never i mean that is just I'm sorry. They they were illegal immigrants, so at best they were gonna be put in jail, and at worst, well, I don't know that any real American uh, coast guards would shoot them right away. But uh, yeah, it, it was a red flag. I mean, it was that's how you know they're bad people, and that's these are bad people. I mean, there were children in that boat, and they get gunned down indiscriminately. I hate to spoil it, but uh, there's a lot of children that get gunned down or blown up in this movie. Well, aren't you glad that they kind of they, they ripped off the Band-Aid within the first five minutes <laughs> so you know what you're in for? Oh, a- absolutely. Back then, and I think that the only 80s action movie that we've done on the show was the, the original Punisher. And we, we were very complimentary of it. it. Just the fact that back then, movies were not afraid of having bad guys that were bad and that's that's exactly what happens in this in this cold open. Just really bad dudes massacre a, a boat of refugees. That's it. We're I off mean, to the races. F- fucking Frankenstein. The the way they cut it because they it's it looks like he murder he drowns that little girl. And that's why the townspeople turn on him. Movies used to have balls, man, and, and that, there's not a bigger hairy swinging pair of nuts than Invasion USA. They just start right off with gunning people down and man when Rostov goes to exchange the drugs for some weaponry dude this is like one of the best like introductory bad guy scenes ever <laughs> because uh Billy Drago's there he's got his girl with him and he has her tested she has like this gold straw that she uses to snort cocaine and he fucking a young Christopher Nolan was watching this and saw <laughs> In a future scene with a pencil because he just slams her head down when she's snorting cocaine and this fucking straw goes up into her nose. And then he shoots Billy Drago's dick off and then like shoots him in the chest. And then he fucking hell in a cells the woman by just like throwing her off the, through the window and she undisputedly falls to her death. 
It's a, it all that really surprised me more so than like the kids being gunned down. I was like, holy shit, that escalated quickly. And then he really gets on my bad side because I was hoping that Billy Drago was going to stick around for the rest of the movie, but that's it. He's he's gone within I don't know two minutes of being introduced. Were you are you familiar with Billy Drago as far as you know? Hey, it's it's that guy. It's gotta be good. No, but I did have a that guy moment with um, is it Eddie Jones? Eddie Jones, who plays he's the head of the FBI for this case. Uh, he of course was Dave Hooch. Uh, Marla Hooch's dad in A League of Their Own. That's what I recognize him from. Well, there you go. He versatile, obviously. Oh yeah, he it was definitely like a character actor. He had a lot of television and film credits throughout the years. Uh, but Billy Drago, no, hit me with what I should know him from. Well, there's two main things I think of when I think of Billy Drago. One is uh, this really bad there's no other way to put it <laughs> this really bad movie uh, based on and i might have brought it up on the show before back in the 90s there was this big international incident in peru these terrorists took over the japanese embassy and they kept the hostages there for like two months i think until eventually the peruvian troops kind of like dug a tunnel broke in it was a big like action movie rescue and it was uh, it was a big deal but for like two months we were like on the news we we're watching like the fact that the japanese embassy was taken over by terrorists and they were like i don't know 50 hostages or more uh billy drago is in in the adaptation the, the movie adaptation of that incident uh, he plays one of the terrorists and it is it wouldn't surprise me if i found out that the movie is like a canon movie <laughs> it it's very low budget very uh poorly produced there is a really cringe-worthy subplot where one of the terrorists has some sort of romantic subplot with with one of the hostages it's really bad but anyway billy drago kind of like shines there he gets to do a lot uh and then he is in a michael jackson video as as a bad guy you know how michael jackson started making music videos that were like mini movies yes julio i'm aware (laughs) I'm really, I'm asking the question for the benefit of our listeners, any listeners that don't know, like that, that missed that, that time, that beautiful time in history where, you know, music yeah, videos dominated. Unaware of what we're talking about. You should read about the world premiere of the thriller music video, like how big of a fucking deal that was. Cause the thriller music video is like, it's like a short film. It's yep. not just thriller. Okay, so he was in 2001's video, You Rock My World. Yes. Yes. I mean, that's all you got. That ain't nothing. You ain't nothing. Come on. Man, show me what you got. All you got. Uh, he He's there. Like, he gets into it. Michael Jackson. They have an exchange. I'm like, is that the guy from the movie, The Terrorist? <laughs> Took over the embassy? <laughs> <laughs> Looks like he... Um... Oh, he was in the Untouchables, the Palma movie, and um, let me guess—he played a bad guy. I would imagine so. Uh, looks like he was also in the Hills Have Eyes remake, which nobody's perfect, man. <laughs> I can tell you this: if you see Billy Drago in a movie, you totally buy him as a bad guy. He's a villain. That's great. He found his niche. He exploits it. So having never seen this, it was kind of a bummer that he was in and out. Yeah. I, I thought that he was okay. going to be the, the the American counterpart to to this Russian terrorist. 
But no, man, he goes out quick. So what we learn quickly is that Rostov and Hunter have a previous relationship in the sense, you know, they're enemies, but they, they know each other. And at one point, Hunter had the chance to kill him and didn't. And it haunts Rostov. He has like a nightmare about it that's reoccurring so much so that his business associates know about it. They're like the dream again. <laughs> and he's like, no, it's the nightmare. Chuck Norris nightmare. That would be something that would keep you up at night if you know <laughs> that Chuck Norris has your number. That he spared you, but he could come back at any point. As we mentioned, there's an attack on Chuck Norris's home. After being asked to return to duty, he declines. But once his uh, buddy, his alligator wrestling buddy there, uh, is killed. Who was that? Del Berti. That dude was in the Ten Commandments. Were you relieved that the armadillo survived that bombing? Yes. I kind of got worried because this still would have been run. Uh, this, uh, I don't know about it anymore. This point in the eighties, they weren't actually killing animals in movies, but they give you a close up just so that you know for sure that the armadillo is okay. It was so cute; it like fell over, like you know, it was like it, like it was startled or something. I mean, I know those those are fucking rodents, but it looked cute on screen. Anyway, this of course, all that was missing was Chuck, like you know, holding uh, a blood soaked towel or just covered in blood, going Mendoza, <laughs> Rostov. <laughs> But isn't that impressive? Isn't that just kind of uh, uh, indicative of Chuck Norris's strength? This is basically his Oscar clip. And he doesn't shed a tear. He barely emotes. You can still feel that the anger and the just, you know, you know that he's going to go after this Russian guy now. He's, he's going to take on the mission. But he it's not that he underplays it. It's just that he doesn't overplay it. Like most actors would would do what you just did, <laughs> they would they would do the, the the have no shame moment and they would just scream to the skies. Hugh Jackman would just have a field day with this scene, but oh man, Chuck Norris he just kind of kneels there and and you can totally tell that he's mad and he's he's gonna set things right, and then that's it. Cut to the next scene. We do get a pretty awesome scene of um, Richard Lynch explaining like Americans and how soft and weak they are. And he, he says something like, fuck, what does he say? He's like, they don't even understand the consequence of the freedom they have. Or like, they don't understand the, the idea of the freedom they have. The one quote I do know verbatim, cause I wrote it down. Is he said, they're their own worst enemy, but they don't even know it, which is like, whew. <laughs> we do know it now. <laughs> or, yes. Or at least some of us Near- do. Nearly 40 years later, we are categorically aware. I mean, us smart ones are, but... It's, um, it, it is surprisingly sharp as a, as a critique of, I guess, American... Not just American complacency, because, yeah, the original point is like, oh, well, they, they're so overconfident, a, right? Yeah, it's a bit surprising how on the money it is, because this movie so clearly wants to be America number one, everyone else sucks. But also, it's he explains how overconfident and arrogant and like unself-aware Americans are. But I guess that doesn't matter because we have more guns, right? (laughs) But it's not even that. Like that's on one level. But then the other level is that it shows how easy to manipulate America is. 
that the way they explain it, and they're 100% right, is like, they are, you know, Americans are so eager to show that they will not be trampled on, that they react aggressively instead of thinking things through. So all you have to do is create a little bit of chaos, and most Americans are just going to fight back without seeing what they're fighting against. And so that's why, of course, the perfect place to test this theory is fucking Florida. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> so of course the the Russian experiment to to tear to have Americans tear each other apart starts there in Miami and uh, it works. So hundreds of additional guerrillas of this Rainbow Coalition we mentioned land on the beaches of southern Florida and move inland using several pre-positioned trucks. The guerrillas begin their assault by destroying suburban homes. Another group of guerrillas impersonating Miami police officers attack a community center full of Cuban expatriates in Miami. Uh, when a squad car with genuine Miami police officers drive to investigate the gunfire, the survivors angrily start vandalizing their car and leave the policemen perplexed. I thought that was kind of a funny scene. They pull up like, what's going on? Like true white men. What's going on over here? And <laughs> they start getting pelted with bricks and shit. So um, what needs to be understood as I'm saying all this is when they storm the beach, it's a real beach somewhere and they have real actors Real extras, real people on these freighters that pull into this dock here and they get off and they start running and they all have prop guns and they're shooting them and shit. And when they blow up homes, they're really blowing up like sets that were meant to look like homes in suburban America uh, and they're real explosions. So there's real corpses lying on the streets. <laughs> Dude, wait till we get to the end. But uh, obviously. That shit doesn't mean anything to you, Julio. But for me, <laughs> this is awesome. This is it, it didn't just used to be better, it used to be good. The <laughs> idea that they would actually go through this effort to do this. And because it looks a million times better. I I know we're always gonna disagree on that, but I mean, I think even you can give in a little bit here when they're shooting that rocket launcher and all those different homes. Uh, that are like being decorated for Christmas. It looks awesome. <laughs> I I smiled with glee because I could anticipate your joy as you watched that. I was like, <laughs> look, I I could, you know, take it or leave it. If you told me that it was all computer generated, I would also buy it. But I know that Alex can tell the difference and that's all that matters. Yeah, one of my notes says, hell yeah, real explosions, exclamation point. The Expendable movies, I know, I know you haven't seen the third one, but... Uh, the the first two are they kind of like back to basics in this sense that they they just really mm. blow shit up or it's a mix there there's some parts there there's some of that shit that um, bullet train I was talking about I couldn't stand where someone gets shot and it's fake it's like CG blood that mm. shoots out and it's like dude you guys know what to do but there's also plenty of squibs and shit in that too so it's um did they get Chuck Norris for one of those. Part two, yeah. He kind of plays himself. I forget. You know, they all have ridiculous names. Um, Booker the Lone Wolf is his name in The Expendables 2. <laughs> and the whole thing is uh, Sylvester Stallone's character knows him, but no one else in the group does. And they there's a scene where they first meet him, and they're like, Booker, I heard this about you. And it's one of the Chuck Norris lines, you know. And... <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's not as bad as I'm the juggernaut bitch from the last stand, but it's <laughs> on the same train of thought. I heard another rumor. 
that you were bitten by a king cobra? Yeah, I was. But after five days of agonizing pain, the cobra died. Uh, one thing I want to call out during this sequence here when all these people are decorating for Christmas, some psychotic family decorates a tree in their yard like a Christmas tree. Like they put tinsel and a star on the top of it. Why the fuck would you do that to a tree outside? You put lights outside. They Well, they didn't back then, but they do now. On They may have, but like those net lights, you can just stretch out and drape it over a tree. It's water resistant, wind resistant. What it's you're ready saying for, is that they, they were asking to be blown up by terrorists. Well, and that little girl came back out too when she shouldn't have. So, I mean, the terrorists were like, man, they don't know how good they have it here. <laughs> so they're essentially creating anarchy, Julio, because the citizens don't know who to trust. Then, as we mentioned, impersonating cops, gunning people down in the street. Chuck Norris drives, there's this elongated shot of him driving down, I guess, the Florida equivalent of Skid Row. All these people are <laughs> cursing at him and throwing shit at his car. One guy runs up and kicks it. It's pandemonium. Yeah, well, thankfully, Chuck Norris doesn't get distracted by these these small things. He's, he's going, he's hunting for the big guns. He has this sort of uh, unstoppable Terminator-like quality in this movie. I don't know if you got that vibe where he's just, no matter what happens, he just keeps going forward. <laughs> Nothing phases him. Also, not showing emotion at all. But, well, yeah, that's because he knows that that would be weakness, right? They they can smell the fear on you. So, doesn't emote, doesn't have time for romance with the reporter. He just cares about the mission. The mission is stopping this. And at first, <laughs> because I was thinking, you know, that was a lot of Russians that just stormed the beach. And Chuck Norris just said that he works alone. So is he is the plan that he's just going to basically hunt them one by one? He's gonna go after every Russian, every Russian terrorist in Florida until there's none left. Because I was like, if that's what the movie is proposing, I'm down. I'll I'll watch an entire two hours of Chuck Norris just one by one taking down terrorists. I mean, he is basically a one man army by the end. Yeah, yeah, but but he. At, at some point, he he does have he he realizes that this is it would go a little easier, it would go a lot faster if he just cuts the head of the snake, right? Which is that this the guy that's obsessed with him. But for a while, it's just him kind of methodically picking up one informant, figure out where the next attack is going to be, going to that attack, stopping that one, then moving on to the next one, and so on. And it's 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 very Terminator like, you know. It's except that he's human, so it's even more more exciting so there's an attack at the mall it's christmas time you know everyone's buying their christmas gifts having a good time and preparing for the holidays the gorillas start a shootout and a bomb threat at a mall which people are doing their christmas shopping during the attack hunter having shaken down an informant comes to the mall and takes down the gorillas one by one so yeah we got our one-man army here he he smashes into the mall Yes, car. and he hits like one random guy who just goes <laughs> flying. And then why is the reporter there? Melissa Prophet's back at the scene. What is she doing there? She happens. She's always there at the whatever bad things are happening. She's there. She's. I guess she's just that good of a reporter. She has sources. But after this big shootout and you know evacuation of all these folks, and sadly a lot of innocent people do die. He chases after some of the terrorists with her in tow. Correct, because she gets shot at. She happens to be like she kind of falls into the car that he's driving. 
<laughs> the, she's taking pictures. Yeah. And she says something like, thanks a lot, cowboy. <laughs> she's really trying to make this this romance subplot happen, but Chuck Norris is having none of it. She drops her pen. She's like, oops. <laughs> uh, we find out through a privy conversation with the FBI that armed citizens are taking to the street and that the, they say, well, good luck because the National Guard's already there. And it's pretty terrifying, the idea of this. And we end up at a church where another terrorist attack is going to take place. And uh, honest to God, Julio, I had, um, when they go to the church, it's nighttime and it's these people attending there because they don't really know where to go. And the pastor's preaching about, you know, this is dividing man and this is a problem with this. Uh, on the night of September 11th, my family and I went to the church down the street from our house, which is in the church we attended. I think my parents just didn't know what to do. And no one knew what the fuck to do. No one knew what was going on. And um, I, I'm confident that my folks weren't worried that Waterville, Ohio was going to be bombed or anything. But it was still a sense of like we should be around other people and mm-hmm. see if anyone else knows anything we don't know. And um, that I related to this scene. I, I remember that. That was obviously a day for anyone who experienced it will remember it. And that's one of the things I remember was going to that church and seeing the, just like the concern and confusion and just complete um, unknowing and of adults. And that's, you know, I had never really experienced that in my life up until that point. So I think this scene, which was 16 years before what I experienced happened, but it uh, really conjured up those emotions for me and kind of hit the nail on the head, at least, you know, from my experience of a situation similar. The way it hit me was that I realized that after everything that had happened in the movie so far, I couldn't tell you that they were not going to blow up that church. Well, they try to, but Chuck thwarts it. Right. But that's the thing. Like I, because we've seen so many horrible things happen and I know they mean business and I know that the movie is not pulling any punches. So I'm like, yep. Yeah, this could happen. They they could get away with blowing up the church, and that's just you know more in the in the path of escalation that this movie's taking. So I was on the edge of my seat as they were about to blow it up, and then very relieved when Chuck Norris saved the day. That's a pretty smart way of of building up tension, right? <laughs> you hit us from the beginning with all these horrible things happening, and then we a hundred percent believe that anything could happen. I, I know that the movie is not afraid of going to really dark places. So would they blow up a church? Yeah. By by the time that, that the movie poses that question, I I was pretty sure that they, they could do it if they wanted to. This, of course, results in some gunfire in the streets and Hunter comes out the other side all right while uh, a lot of those terrorists can't say the same. They begin shipping kids off. Do they say where they're going? <laughs> they said the country. <laughs> so it gets away from the city. Uh, to stay with Nick Offerman from The Last of Us? <laughs> yes. They're shipping these kids off. Terrorists catch wind of it, and they try to bomb the bus. They put like a magnetic bomb on the side. Hunter shows up, takes it off, puts it on their car. So hoisted, literally hoisted by their own petard in this case. This is, after this one, I think is when Chuck Norris stops to catch his breath and is like, okay, there has to be a faster way of taking care of this problem. (laughs) Martial law has been declared, and this is one of the most fascinating things to consider. And that was something that it took me a while to comp- I remember my dad explaining it to me when I was little and like learning about history and wars and stuff. And um, have you seen the movie The Siege? Because that's basically what happens in the siege. Really? Yeah, Denzel Washington 
so it's it's like there's a terrorist cell that that kind of starts terrorizing the I don't remember which which state they're in, which city, but it's Denzel Washington is the guy that's trying to figure out, trying to to find the leader because if you find the leader, you you put a stop to it, right? And uh, Bruce Willis is the leader of the military, and he keeps telling them, okay, if you if you declare the state of emergency and unleash me, we can't pull it back. So once you once you declare martial law, it's not like you can say just kidding and then stop it. And and so they declare martial law, and then it becomes this conflict between Bruce Willis and Denzel Washington because once martial law is on bruce willis is just unstoppable and you know <laughs> civil liberty sees <laughs> in a way and it's the movie is not great but i remember that that idea kind of stuck with me and then i saw it tonight as i was watching invasion of usa and i pointed i was like it's the siege before the siege happened i remember my questioning to my dad when i was younger like about the vietnam war about world war one about world war two and you know the civil war was fought in american soil and i i asked him it probably would have been around the time of September 11th of, you know, not knowing what was going to happen. It's like, well, are people going to come and invade here? And he was like, well, and, you know, I was still a kid, so he didn't want to shatter the illusion of America and the world to me. But he was just like, you know, gun laws are different here. So if someone tried to invade the country, uh, you know, everyone that owns a gun would feel deputized to go out in the street and shoot them. And that idea has only worsened and become way more like monumentally so true with how many guns there are in this country. If anyone tried to invade American soil, it would, I mean, it'd be a hard ask seeing it in this. I'm like, well, if you militarize correctly and have a good idea, then maybe uh, it just doesn't really seem like they had an idea. It seems like Rostov got all these guys together. Like, well, we'll just figure it out when we get there. Um, (laughs) The plan is there is no plan. So after he saves this bus of children, he arrives at a carnival for some reason because, you know, Chuck's got to get a funnel cake and throw some darts. <laughs> and he sees it's been bombed and wiped out. He realizes, quote, they are spread out too far for him to stem the tide of their attacks effectively. So he comes up with this alternate plan and he tells his buddy from the CIA what, what he needs. He goes, and have he, you seen the Avengers? No. Have you seen The Dark Knight? No? Okay, listen. <laughs> the plan is, I'm going to let them capture me. It's a trap! When he explains this, the CIA dude, I don't remember the guy's name, says, think of the risks. And there's this long dramatic pause, and then Norris turns back over his shoulder and goes, think of the stakes. <laughs> It's a best original screenplay clip. <laughs> Invasion USA. <laughs> Alex, you didn't call out the the Dunkirk sequence. Which one's that? That's when the helicopters start dropping all these flyers. Oh my god, I forgot about that. I didn't even take note of that. But yeah, they it's uh, for the curfew, right? You uh-huh. got to be in from dusk till dawn. You have to be inside. So you're right. Nolan is a big Invasion USA fan. <laughs> I'm just thinking of Nolan, like, you know, directing Invasion USA with a giant IMAX camera and those, like, really pretentious shots of him, like, with his hands up, like how he would frame something. <laughs> and Chuck Norris, you know, has the one arm folded kind of under his elbow and he's got the the resting index finger on his bottom <laughs> lip with his thumb on his chin, just watching Nolan at work. 
All right, so yes, they capture Chuck Norris, and because of the, because one dude is is uh, Rostov's like, all right, the invasion's on. Meanwhile, they're moving like an entire section of the military to Atlanta. That's gonna move on down and start some chaos with these fuckers. Right, here we go. Alarmed by the threat, the government establishes a special theater command for the southeastern United States with the headquarters in the Georgia Pacific Tower in Atlanta. This is when we're hearing the news broadcasts of like martial law, death, chaos. At the command center, all 50 state governors and military officials meet to stop the terror attacks. The FBI takes Hunter into custody for vigilantism against the terrorist. And he is taken to the command center where he goes Rostov on national television to come out and kill him. Rostov orders all guerrillas to assault the center in a mass attack, but they find no one inside. Julio, it was a trap. <laughs> <laughs> and Rostov figures it out when he gets in there. Dude, the fucking font they use for his captions is so menacing. <laughs> it's just like huge and like nasty block letters. It's the opposite of papyrus. It is. It is papyrus. <laughs> yeah, and then the military come in and they start killing all these fuckers. And again, what was their plan? Is this like 20 minutes of movie that is just a massive shootout with tanks and bazookas and heavy losses on both sides of the of the equation? I mean, Cannon gave them $12 million. They had to use it, man. And you know, like like you've been pointing out, it's all there. None of this is digital. It's not. So those are real tanks. <laughs> yes. And uh, for those listening who appreciate real practical effects, you definitely want to hang around for part two when we go a bit deeper into that. But yeah, this it's a showdown. And you know, this is what people went to the movies for. Uh, specifically like action movies. It's just give me as much insanity and just explosions and crazy shit as you can. And there's squibs and those guys dying where they like look up to the sky and <laughs> shout out in pain. It's as I said at the beginning of this, you've seen this. Even if you haven't seen this, you've seen this. But it's it's fun. You'll happily see it again. You will. And you'll laugh at the way some of these guys sell getting shot. These extras <laughs> that, you know, they know they have four seconds on screen and they're going to do all they can to steal the movie. But it does eventually lead to the showdown between Rostov and Hunter as the two militaries battle outside. Inside is where these two face off. Eventually, of course, our boys, troops, support the troops. <laughs> USA pulls through and inside Hunter outsmarts Rostov. He gets behind him. And he says, it's time. And Richard Lynch turns around, and they both have, like, rocket launchers. But Chuck gets his off just beforehand, shoots Richard Lynch in the stomach, and blows this window out, and <laughs> assorted <laughs> body parts fly everywhere. And there's, like, a big rubber head that flies out, and it was just, I'm just pumping my fist, like, God bless. I didn't see the head. I saw the, the foot. There is a head. It's literally the looks exactly like the mold that Ryan Gosling puts on when he attacks Ron Perlman and Drive. It's just kind of like wobbling and flying like a dick in the air. And it just it flies out of frame, but you can see it clear as day. It's pretty fantastic. And then as if that wasn't cool enough, we get a reaction shot to 
Chuck Norris, I guess, just kind of like cocking the rocket launcher. <laughs> and then fade to black credits. That's it. Credits. The bad guy's dead. America won. There's nothing left to do. We did what we came here for. And so that is Invasion USA. There's no there's no teasing the sequel. There's no cute post credit scene where I don't know, the reporter is having dinner with Chuck Norris. Nothing. It's 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 done. My dinner with Hunter. <laughs> She's interviewing him. It's uh you know, she's writing a profile for the National Enquirer or whatever, whatever she works for. Of Invasion USA, Chuck Norris would say, it was a little too much. <laughs> you see, <laughs> you see <laughs> w- w- <laughs> when you're making a movie, it takes over five months. Not until you bring it down to an hour and a half do you see just what you've done. It was... Too much, unfortunately. What prompted and that's this, good- <laughs> this uh, soul searching? <laughs> Was he commenting on the the Run Tomato score? What happened? It's cited from an article from 1986, an article called "Chuck Norris: A Hero Hazard's Comedy" by Mike McGrady, but. I'm not sure exactly what the context of it was. It's just something I found <laughs> a quote. And Julio, I thought that was as good as any of a segue to go into real talk. I agree. Let's let's find out if we think that Invasion USA was indeed too much. Or not enough. Maybe we think yeah, that's a, that's the other option. Maybe it's not enough. Maybe we are we sophisticated audiences of the year 2023. Could have used an extra 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> More pro-America propaganda. <laughs> yes. We don't get enough of that uh, these days. But yeah, let's go to real talk, Alex. You can elevate the machine to use whatever percentage of your body weight. I can take it around with me on all my locations. Great workout. Great exercise. Now, for the first time ever, you can try a total gym absolutely risk-free for an entire two months. You won't even be charged for shipping and handling. But believe me, it won't take two months. You'll be hooked on it the first time you try it. Call 1-800-939-9680. That's 1-800-939-9680.